you would please turn to Judges chapter 17. Judges 17, if you're visiting with us, that black Bible that's here in front of you, start in the book of Genesis and find page 194, 194, and find Judges 17. And some of you might be saying, might be asking, wait, what did he say? Wait, what did he say? I thought we were supposed to be in chapter 10. Oh, I'm glad you asked. Wink, 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 wink. Yes, that's correct. We should be. But we're going to study chapters 17 through 21 in the book of Judges, and then we're going to go back to chapter 10, and we're going to do that for two reasons. First, these chapters, 17, 18, 19, 21, they illustrate just how far Israel had gone in their idolatry, immorality, and brutality. If you want to sum up these chapters, there you go. Idolatry, immorality, brutality. Idolatry is this week, next week. Immorality is chapter 19. And then chapters 20 and 21 is brutality. This is what you see. It describes horrible, wicked things that they did to each other. So that's the first reason. But second, these chapters, 17 to 21, actually happened earlier in the history of the book of Judges. So we, we look at it and it comes later. So we're thinking, oh, that's later on. That's, that's after Samson type thing. Well, no, actually, it's not. It's put at the end of the book by Samuel as an illustration. This is how far gone they had gone. This is how bad they had become. But it actually happened earlier on in Israel's judge history. Maybe in the time of Jephthah. Maybe uh, in the time of Gideon or after Gideon with uh, uh, my dad's king, Abimelech which actually makes it even worse for them because you see how things spiraled downward for Israel. And it all ends, so to speak, with the birth of Samuel and for Samuel and then him being a young boy and you find out the priests are sleeping with the women and are stealing the food from the people. Nice. That's great. And that was only the tip of the iceberg. So, that's why we're going to embark on this area in chapter 17 of Judges. So, let's read that. Judges chapter 17, and then we'll jump in. Now, there was a man of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver which were taken from you about what you uttered a curse in my hearing. Behold, the silver's with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed praise be my son by the Lord, by Yahweh. He then returned the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I wholly dedicate the silver from my hand to Yahweh for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now therefore, 
I will return them to you. So when he returned the silver to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver, gave them to the silversmith, who made it into a graven image and a molten image, and it was in the house of Micah. And the man, Micah, had a shrine. And he made an ephod and a teraphim and consecrated one of his sons that he might become his priest. Key verse, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Verse 7, now there was a young man from Bethlehem and Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he was sojourning. Uh, Then the man departed from the city from Bethlehem and Judah to stay wherever he might find a place. And as he made his journey, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem and Judah. I'm going to sojourn wherever I may find a place. Micah then said to him, well, do with me and be a father and a priest to me. And I'll give you 10 pieces of silver a year, a suit of clothes and your maintenance. And so Levi went and Levi agreed to live with the man. And the young man became to him like one of his sons. So Micah consecrated the Levite. And the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. And the cake icing of the cake. Then Micah said, Now I know that Yahweh will prosper me, seeing I have a Levite as a priest. Uh, there's a book called In Praise of Mixed Religion. And the publisher says this about the book. Quote, An increasing number of people are intentionally combining elements from various religious heritages demonstrating that religions do not have firm boundaries, nor are they purely distinct. In Praise of Mixed Religion discusses the concept of syncretism, the term for the mixing of religious perspectives. The religious studies discipline has traditionally distinguished between between two responses to syncretism, of subjective view, which treats syncretism as morally reprehensible, and objective view, which treats it as a morally neutral phenomenon. William Harrison, who's the author of In uh, in Defense of Mixed Religion, uh, In Praise of Mixed Religion, uh, William Harrison adopts a third perspective, the advocacy view, which claims that mixing religions is a good and necessary process. He cites countless examples from both history and recent years to show how religious traditions have gained theological and practical wisdom by borrowing key ideas, beliefs, and practices from outside their own movements. By encouraging syncretism in praise of mixed religion, contests the hard boundaries between religious worldviews and presents a dramatic alternative for thinking and talking about religion. End quote. Now for us as Christians, this comes across to us, across to us as repulsive. This is reprehensible. Which, by the way, that's not the subjective view, that's the objective view. I mean, we would never do that. Would we? Maybe we are doing that. And we don't even realize we're doing that. You ever thought about that? We love our idols. 
the book of Judges is about God's never-ending, relentless, his overwhelming love for his people. That's what it's about. And then the subtitle helps us even more so with his never-ending, overwhelming, relentless love for his people. The subtitle, he loves us so much that he wants us to solely love and want him. He loves us. He loves you so much that he wants you to solely love him, to chiefly want him. Another way to say it, he loves us so much that he'll discipline us to make that to make sure that he is our chief love. He wants to be first and foremost in your life. And he'll discipline you to make that happen. He'll allow things into your life that's not fun. And he'll extract these things and reveal things about your life where you actually love this thing or love that person or love stuff more than God. And he'll discipline us in that. Which leads us to the title for this morning's chapter, chapter 17 in the book of Judges. I titled it like this, Rival Love. Or in parentheses, you can also put the danger of subjective syncretism. The danger of subjective syncretism. We're going to define those terms, subjective Syncretism, syncretism, we kind of already defined it. Thank you, in praise of mixed religion. Mm-hmm. I guess. Rival love. And, and we've said this before. Last week, uh, chapter three in Judges, God takes seriously if or when our love for him is rivaled. He don't like that. He's not thrilled about that in your life and in my life. He doesn't want a rival in your love for him. He takes that seriously, which is why the idea is this, don't mix your love and worship for Christ with anyone or anything else just because it feels like the right thing to do. Go to the word of God. It might feel right. It might seem right. But it's not. Why do you know? Scripture. Objective truth. Syncretism is the union or the attempted union of different religions. Subjectivism is emotionalism. Personal preference based solely upon your emotions not objective truth and the objective truth is God's word so subjective syncretism is the subjectivity personally individual my feelings I'm going to mix that in with different beliefs because it feels like the right thing to do 
when really there's a rival love for God. I'll put it a different way. Love for Christ plus fill in the blank. Driven by our emotions or our subjectivity. A good desire. A good desire, you want something, but that good desire becomes a God desire. That good thing becomes a, bad, becomes a God thing and that's, that's, that's a bad thing, right? You know, what are the odds, if you're visiting here especially, what are the odds you hear a sermon from the book of Judges? let alone from the book of Judges chapter 17. I mean, wouldn't you rather hear a message from the book of Philippians? It'd be a whole lot easier. I mean, how in the world does this chapter affect and, and, and apply to our lives? How? How does it make a difference? Well, this chapter describes to us how confused and depraved Israel had become. It describes how Israel was wallowing in her idolatrous, evil, immoral mess, even thinking that God was blessing them as they committed idolatry. This is success. All the while they're being disobedient. Oh, that's so much the way we live our lives. If we see success, oh, God must be what? blessing you. Really? How do you know that? Are you sure about that? Maybe subjectivity is playing a factor into your um, evaluation. This is what uh, classified it like this. It's, It's called convenient Christianity. I can make Christianity be whatever I want it to be. I can be a gay Christian and God is fine with that. I can be a drunken Christian and God is fine with that. I can go to a worship service, even be a member of a church, even be a deacon and beat my wife and God is fine with that. We, we post our wants to God expecting Him to give us those wants and when he doesn't, we say there's something wrong with God, not me. He, he's supposed to make me happy, right? Giving me what I want, right? And, and we, when, when we're told that God doesn't work that way, then we bail on him. Well, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about, God. Really? We, we like to add God to our shrine. We, we do it. We all do it. I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me. It's so easy. Are we merging our love for Christ with our love for ourselves? What did Jesus say? If anyone wishes to follow after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and 
and follow me. He wants us to want him solely. This, that's the gospel. God should judge us as sinners and yet he sent Jesus to die in our place to take the wrath of God and he did that for all those who repent and trust him alone, who turn away, they deny themselves and they put their trust in Jesus. Are you here and not a Christian? You should repent and trust Jesus. You should follow Jesus, which means you deny yourself. You take up the cross and you follow Jesus. That's, that's, what, that's what it means to be a Christian. I, I, didn't, I didn't make it up. Jesus did. Come, trust Jesus, and you'll find compassion and mercy. You'll find forgiveness. That's the gospel. So that's the introduction to chapter 17. And I was trying to figure out how do you split this split this chapter up in points. Well, I th- here's, here's a first point. Um, here you go. First point, with no king, it was bad. <laughs> that is that for, for a point. <laughs> with no king, it was bad. And we're going to look at chapter six, I mean, verse six in just a moment, but let's walk through these first five verses and then we'll really hone in on chapter, on verse six. First five verses, notice. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. You know what his name means? His name means this. Who is like Yahweh? Oh. Interesting. He stole 1,100 pieces of silver. He admits it to his mom. And then his mom praises him, praises Yahweh, and dedicates some of the silver to make a grave and a molten image. So she gave the 200 pieces of silver, verse 4, Gave them to a silversmith who made them, made it into a graven image and molten image. Do you notice something? Do you notice that putting together, dedicate to Yahweh and making a graven image, this is kind of like putting together oil and water. It just, no, just doesn't mix. No, it's like mixing fruit and chocolate. It's just, you just don't do that. That's just like evil. And if you like that, you need to repent. You know, that's just wrong. Don't mix your fruit with chocolate. Don't blaspheme the name of chocolate like that. They're blaspheming the name of God like this. I mean, this completely and totally contradicted what God revealed to Israel. Dedicated to Yahweh, make a graven image. Is anybody using their brain right here? I, I no. And the ironic contrast, this is what gets me, the ironic contrast between Micah's name and the mundane silver god and the plethora of other gods in his shrine. Who is like Yahweh? And yet you have all these gods there. You see the irony? It's sad. Uh, not to mention, keep in mind the pieces of silver were stolen. So now you have a god of theft. Oh, that's wonderful. No, that's ridiculous. This totally violated God's first command not to make a graven image and it also glorified robbery. I mean, they're way off. And it's quite possible that the god was cast in the form of a calf 
because later it's associated with the city of Dan in 1 Kings, well actually in chapter 18, and then in 1 Kings with Jeroboam's sin. If you go to 1 Kings, you see Jeroboam's sin. It actually takes from this, from the city of Dan, this shrine and actually makes it into for the God of Israel. This is your God, Israel, who delivered you from Egypt. Micah's little shrine, he, he already had, verse five, he already had a house of gods along with an ephod. Remember, the priests were the ephod. Those were the priests. Had to, and from that, you'd be able to tell, like he was ministering to the people and also tell the will of God. He had one. He made his own. Not to mention he had a teraphim, a bunch of gods. He contrasts that with what Samuel tells us in chapter 18, verse 31. Samuel says, so they set up for themselves Micah's graven image, which he had made, all the time that the house of God was at Shiloh. Already having a shrine, the mom's gift to her son enhanced Micah's little worship center. So what was the real problem? Syncretism. Mixing love for Christ for Yahweh with other loves or loves for something else or someone else, they are totally disobeying God's word. It runs contrary to what God commanded Israel about having private sanctuaries. The tabernacle, the house of God, was at Shiloh. There was only to be one sanctuary in Shiloh. The tabernacle. Yahweh wanted to be central in all their thoughts and all their actions. He was to be first and foremost as their king and as their God. It was about him. And, 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 and they, were, they didn't get it. Faith, our worship, our beliefs, it's regulated, it's driven it's based in this, in Scripture. But now, listen, the idea that faith, worship, and beliefs are regulated by God's revelation from His infallible, inerrant Word subject to how He says He should be worshipped is ludicrous to our culture. They think you're crazy. And guess what? Some Christians think you're crazy if you believe that too. Some Christians actually think this. But that's why we do what we do in our gathering. God said this. That's why we read scripture. That's why we expound scripture. That's why we pray the gospel. That's why we sing the gospel. Because God told us to do that. And notice what he did. Look at verse 5 again. Middle of verse, uh, towards the end of verse 5, consecrated one of his sons that he might become his priest. He did what? Yep, you read that right. He appointed one of his sons to be his priest. This completely 
disregarded what Yahweh commanded Israel. But as you can see, nobody cared. Verse 6. In those days, there's no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Nobody cared. I do what I want. Don't, don't tell me how to do things. I, I, I can do what I want. Had there been a king, a good king, this would not be happening in Israel. A good king, that is, a monarchy that was faithful to Yahweh and his covenant. A king that would destroy this kind of syncretism and direct God's people to love him solely and chiefly. Oh, we have that in Jesus, don't we? Our Messiah directs us to how we're supposed to worship God. We worship him in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit and the truth of who Jesus is. Someone like Moses. Uh, someone like Joshua. That's what Samuel means here in verse 6. A person who would direct God's people to worship him solely, chiefly, first. To go to the law, to the truth. To, to his word. With no king, it was bad. Uh, verse 7 through 13, with no king, it got worse. Verses 7 through 13. Look at verse 7. A young man from Bethlehem and Judah, the family of Judah, who was a Levite, he was sojourning there. Okay, first, okay, stop. What in blazes was he doing in Bethlehem? What in blazes was he doing in Bethlehem? That was not one of the Levitical cities as Yahweh marked out by Moses, was it? No. What was he doing there? Problem number one. He was an opportunist. Mm. Looking for a good spot to make a little bling bling for himself. That's what he was doing. And you see, he's sojourning. He departed from Bethlehem. Micah comes to the hill country of Ephraim. Micah says, hey, where do you come from? Oh, I'm a Levite. Oh. Verse 10, Mike says, hey, come with me. Uh, uh, now, though he seemed to be an opportunist, we also know that Levites, the Levites and the priests, were most likely scattered because the people were not supporting them as they should. Because nobody cared. Remember, the tabernacle was in Shiloh. Who cares? Uh, uh, the people should have been caring for those who ministered to them, but they didn't. And I guess... His son, the guy's Micah's son, he wasn't cutting it. Maybe he was just like, I don't know, a terrible priest or something. So he makes this Levite a priest. And this Levite was a, a clear sign of God taking care of him, wasn't it? Oh, totally. I mean, talk about providence. I'm being sarcastic here. I'm laying it on really thick people, okay? The son was not to be the priest, let alone this Levite. Levites were assistants. I mean, if, if this wasn't so blatantly against God, it would actually be hilarious. And, and here's the icing on the cake. So he says, hey, dwell with me. I'll take care of you. So Levi says, awesome. I am set, baby. Cool. Came to him, became like one of his sons. He consecrated the Levite. The young man became his priest, and, and here's the icing on, here's the, there's, here it is right here. 
laying it out for you. Verse 13, now I know that Yahweh will prosper me. You got to be kidding me. I mean, are, are you reading that? Do you see this? This is unbelievable. Now that I have a Levite as a priest, Levites weren't supposed to be priests. They're only, only the descendants from Aaron were supposed to be priests. They were supposed to be assistants. I totally know God prospered, God's blessing me. He thought God would bless him. A total contradiction. Here is subjective syncretism. This is what it is. Nice shrine, Levitical priest, a vastry of idols. Hey man, I'm set. God loves me, I can totally tell. Yahweh's gonna prosper me. Are you crazy? This guy was totally off. He forgot in what Yahweh commanded in his word. He didn't get that his words completely conflicted with his actions. So what does this have to do with us? Realize your worship of God and your ministry in a church can have great success and yet be under God's judgment because it's being done the way you want it done, not the way God prescribed. That's scary. Worshiping God becomes like Plato, right? You can, you can make it so it benefits you. And we can end up doing the same thing when we see these signs of God. What's the phrase? This is opening doors for this or that to happen. How do you know that? What if you're wrong? What if this whole Levite encounter was not meant for him to utilize that? You you ever thought about that, Micah? You ever thought about that, Christian? Oh, no. An open door is good, but a closed door is bad. Really? What if an open door is bad and a closed door is good? You ever thought about that? You know, God will, by means of Christ, through the Spirit, discipline us so that we'd maintain pure worship of Him alone. We cannot add God to our list of things or, des- or the desires that we want. That, that's not how God works. And yet, we want a convenient store, shrine, and for God to play along. Because it's based on how we feel. Now, I, I just, I feel, I feel God leading me in this direction. How do you know that? What if your feelings are wrong? You ever thought about that? It's dangerous. To the word, to the word, to the word. Are we worshiping Yahweh the wrong way? Do we think that even attending this service does you good? We check it off our list. I'm good for the week. I'm set. Awesome. And it's not to say we shouldn't be here, be gathering together. We should. We should be encouraging each other to do this and all the more. 
But where's the daily worship of God? Or is it just about going up to the mountains by yourself and that's your church? Now, and I'm not talking about going to the mountains, the river. I talked about this in the first hour. Going somewhere between you and the Lord with your Bible. You know, I said that one time. Somebody got so mad they left, they never came back. And that's, that's not what I'm saying. If, you, if that's your devotional time, your time with the Lord, I'm not talking about has our worship become an individual thing, even a personal preference where we say, you can't tell me otherwise. Is that how we've become? That's our American culture is infiltrated into the church so that we make our worship into doing things the way we want to do them, not the way God has prescribed to us from his word. And James talks about this, James chapter four. He says, you, you have these desires and you can't get them. Why do you fight and quarrel? Because you want these things and you can't have them. And then you know what he says? He says, you adulteresses, don't you realize friendship with the world is hostility towards God? You can't have both. God doesn't play like that. He takes it seriously when love for him is rivaled and he loves his people so much he'll discipline you so that you'll love him. He will. He don't mess around. Is it really all about how you feel? That's our culture. Our culture teaches that. Do you feel like you're a girl? Do you feel like you're a boy? Do you feel like you're both? Neither? Something else? People really believe that if a guy feels like he's a girl, he should be free to express that, no matter his genitalia. People actually really believe this. It's all about their feelings. And, and we should not laugh at that. I know it's... It, at first you're just like, this is kind of silly. But we shouldn't laugh because that's not funny. This is real. People really think that. And, and that is infiltrated into the church where you actually have these young 20-year-olds who think I can be a lesbian and a Christian with that lifestyle at the same time. These 20-year-olds really think that. I can be some other gender and be a Christian all at the same time. They really think this. You know what that's called? What I have in my notes. What's, where is, oh, the danger of subjective syncretism. That's what that is. You want to mix our beliefs with beliefs in God, and we do it based upon our feelings. People really believe she or he can be gay, living our lifestyle, that lifestyle, and be Christian at the same time. I can be a drunkard, I can be this, I can be this, and it doesn't matter. They actually really believe this. Whatever happened to truth? Whatever happened to going to Scripture to see how God wants us to worship Him? How has God prescribed us to worship him? With our lips. 
and with our lives. Be careful of doing this without this. And it's so easy, isn't it? It's easier for me than for you. I can do it up here. I can do a show for you. You have no idea where my heart is, do you? And do you care? Should you care? I care where your heart is. It's so easy to do this. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15 to the Pharisees? You worship me with your lips, but what? Your heart is far away from me. That's why Jesus made it clear in Matthew chapter 6. You can't serve me and money. Mm -mm. You you can't serve God and stuff. Mm -mm. You can't serve God and your desires, which might be a good desire. But that good desire becomes a God desire. That good thing becomes a God thing. And that's a bad thing. God plus he loves us so much God loves us so much he loves his people so much he wants us to solely love and want him because God takes seriously if or when our love for him is rivaled rival love if you get anything from this message get that he takes it seriously that's why we sing these songs Give us clean hearts, clean hands, clean hearts. Oh God, we cast down our idols. Um, uh, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh take and seal it. That's why we sing these songs. Oh great God of highest head. That's why we sing that song. Oh worship the king. That's why we sing that song. I'm smarter than I look. I'm not as dumb as I look. My kids tell me that all the time. Dad, you're, you're not as dumb as you look. Thanks, guys. Don't mix, don't mix your love and worship for Christ with anyone or anything else just because it feels like the right thing to do. Your feelings have no factor in this. Now, we should have a feeling of our worship for Christ. Of course, there should be feelings involved. But what happens is we become driven by feelings. It's subjective syncretism. Go to the word. It's encouragement for you. May Yahweh, God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give us grace to worship him in true wholeheartedness and fidelity to his truth. You know, and the great thing about this, that, Remember, this is his love for his people. He loves you, Christian, and he'll do what it takes to make you holy. Because he sent his son to die, he sent his son to die for you loving that thing or that person more than him. That's why Jesus had to die. Isn't that a good thing? That's a really good thing. Let's pray. We do pray. Yahweh God, our Father, Lord Jesus, Spirit, give us grace to worship you in true wholeheartedness and fidelity to your truth. We bow our hearts. We bend our knees.
Oh Lord, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh Lord, we cast down our idols. What are those desires that we have that have become primary more than you? Maybe it is success, pleasure, a good job, good relationships. Whatever those things are, whatever those relationships are, make known the idols of our heart and remind us, first Jesus, that's why you had to die because ah, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Thank you, Jesus, you died for that. And then we renew we renew our commitment to be a servant of the Lord Jesus. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Here's my heart. May it be true to you. Love for you. Devotion to you. Allegiance to you. And showing that same love and grace and mercy to your people. Work in us as your church, we pray. I encourage you at this time, which we do this each week, it's like a couple minutes. A couple minutes of silence between you and the Lord. And maybe this, by the Spirit, the Lord brought to your mind an idol that you love more or a desire you love more than Him. Confess that, repent. And lay it before Him. Say that, say, Lord, I cast on this idol. Bam. Maybe you want to do that. Maybe read through your notes. Whatever. Fill your mind with truth. Let, let, Let yourself ponder on these things. Let your brain be filled with truth, with gospel truth. And we'll play, sing two songs, we'll pray, but this time between you and the Lord, us collectively as His people together, meditate. Fill your mind with this truth. Please, if you would, do that now.